I know what you're thinking. They were going to slow down. It's the off season. There's no way we can do any podcasts. How dare you? How dare you? I'm, I'm offended, sirs and madams. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thanks to our friends at Nextiva. We have a ton of work to be able to do. Rob has new numbers out. We have returning production. We have transfers. We have coaching changes. And we are going to continue to go throughout the offseason talking with you about the Pac-12. And thank you for listening. Our numbers are almost the same in the offseason, which is amazing. You guys are great. And um, and I just want to give a, a thanks to Nextiva because this episode is brought to you by them, the official communications partner of the Pac-12. And the best business phone service is chosen by everyone in your family and the U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over the world stay connected, including the Pac-12 country, with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your next business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, Rob Bauer on sweet, sweet nothings in your ear, call reporting, and more, all for the fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. And Rob charges a hefty fee. Make great calls every day. Visit Nextiva.com forward slash 12-pack. Nextiva.com forward slash 12 pack to get started or thanks to them for allowing us to roll through the off season. It's a new day. Yes, it is. For 12 pack radio, get excited. Y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12. Oh, my gosh, Tyler Shuck just transferred to Morgan. They just That just happened. <laughs> Welcome. No, this is, everybody, thank you for joining us. This is 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news. The home, No, seriously, Rob, the, the starting quarterback from Oregon has transferred. And, uh, I mean, what? Was he the starting quarterback? Oh, oh, you, oh man. Oh, man. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. No, no. Th- thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, this is 12-Pack Radio, your podcast for Pac-12 Football News, the home of the Beta Rate College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 Gambling Advice with uh, William Hills and Max Meyer. Obviously, just huge news um, right out of the gate. Uh, Tyler Shuck, the the uh, starting question mark uh, quarterback of Oregon, has decided to answer the transfer portal. I guess, I guess the best way of saying it. Not devastating news, but certainly huge news throughout the conference. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think a lot of folks. Um, I don't know, like Chuck certainly didn't didn't like uh, didn't grab onto the job and put a white knuckle hold on it last year. You know, and there were you know there were you know a lot of people, including myself, that I mean I you know and and Pro Football Focus, I mean, really were were high on Brown, you know, and, and what he had done at Boston College, um, you know, coming into Oregon last year, and thought for sure. Um, you know, he was going to win the job. Um, they ended up really turning to Brown, you know, late in the season last year. Um, you know, and I think, you know, Shuck transferring is not, not, I mean, I, I mean, I realized to a lot of folks, it may be a surprise. I I'm not all that surprised that this happened. Um, you know, he, I think he clearly had sort of fallen out of favor a bit with the coaching staff towards the end of last season. They're also bringing in Ty Thompson, you know, a, a five-star recruit. And they have butter. I mean, Butterfield's a four-star recruit sitting there as well. So there was the possibility for for Shuck that really, I mean, falling way down the depth chart. Um, you know, with Brown likely, likely being if they're if they're if they're looking to start a veteran, um, you know, coming into next year, it's, it's likely going to be Brown. It looks like he's going to be coming back and 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 not opting to to go try his luck in the draft. 
Um, so it is, you know, it's, it's Brown probably versus Thompson and, and butter. I mean, that's going to be the big name. I wouldn't discount Butterfield entirely there, but you know, I would say Brown's probably your leader in the clubhouse. It was interesting because he Shuck came out of the gate firing on all cylinders. I, I really was impressed by his poise and his ability to move the ball uh, at the beginning part of the year. And then he, it seemed like he kind of just sputtered out a little bit where he'd have some good throws, he'd make some good plays, he'd make some good reads, and then sometimes he, he wouldn't or, or just the offense would just kind of pause. And we saw the emergence of Brown a little bit later in the season. There was that interesting moment in the bowl game where he came in and um, and he had that really big run. I was like, oh, wow. And then he fumbled the ball. <laughs> and if yeah. I recall, I don't think he was seen again. I, I have to go back and look. But I just remember that being a, a key moment because I, I was like, oh, here we go. Right. This is uh, they're going to they're going to turn the keys of this game over to Brown. And then that that didn't quite happen. But, um, you, you know, when we we're taking a look at the Moorhead offense, there's times where that thing was humming and you're just like, oh man, if Oregon can move the ball like this, um, even with their defense not being what it was supposed to be, they can just, you know, score their way out of, out of these holes. And, uh, but in the middle of that season though, that, that wasn't quite the case. Did you get the same impression? Yeah. I mean, I I think that they kind of struggled sometimes and and Chuck himself really struggled with turnovers really. I mean, you know, as well during the year. Um, And there were times that he didn't, he didn't, there, I mean, there were really times I will say, like with some beautiful play design from Moorhead and, and you know Shuck being on the same page. It, you know, there are times that looked fascinating and beautiful all at once. Right? <laughs> you know, with that Oregon offense, there were, uh, but that was often followed up by you know moments where like it was uh, everybody just looked really not on the same page. I also think I mean we had talked about I mean with as many offensive line starters as they were replacing, I do think they struggled a little bit to run the football as effectively as they would have liked. They only graded out at 38 in effective rush and beta rank last season. So I, I you know I I think that <clears throat> last year like and as you said, like you know we only really got to see, and I, I I do want to call out we only really got to see Brown you know, with, with time against that Iowa state defense, which was excellent last season. I mean, that Iowa state defense was really, really good. So uh, I mean, I think people should be careful about drawing too many conclusions on Brown simply based on like what they saw of him, you know, against an Iowa state defense that really came together last year. Yeah. I wasn't there one other game. I mean, it, it's so bizarre. Like COVID has just thrown my head into a fog and I'll look this up, but I could, I assume didn't they bring him in in the game prior? Um, just kind of see in, uh, what, the Pac-12 championship game. I he, think he did play in that. Game. Yeah, they took him for a spin there. Um, if I recall, we'll take a double double check the, those stats here. But um, all that to say, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it it seems like he will likely be the you know I, I would pencil him as as the starter. Obviously, they're bringing in a top five quarterback as a freshman, like you mentioned, Butterfield, um, who has been in the system for a year. Also, a highly touted quarterback. So it's not like. Oregon's going to be hurting for quarterbacks, but um, man, th- this guy was kind of supposed to be the uh, you know the the gentleman that took over the offense, and I thought bringing in Brown was interesting. I was the opposite of you, Rob, where I kind of thought, oh, you know, this this will be good for depth and it'll start you know a quarterback competition. But man, uh, may- maybe that was a little bit more um, <laughs> you know uh, edge to edge, you know, heading down the the home stretch than I had anticipated. Yeah, I mean, and too, like, I mean, if you think of it from like a roster management type perspective, right? Like Brown, um, I mean, even when Brown had announced his transfer to Oregon last season, no one knew that there was going to be the, you know, the eligibility holiday. Like, I mean, he was really a, a one-year transfer with the attempt to come in and win the job. Um, but with everything that that Oregon offense lost, really coming into the last year, I mean, with everything they were replacing on the offensive line. 
um, you know, really breaking in a lot of new players kind of across the offense. It just, it, it, it did feel like maybe, you know, like from a growth perspective, they might've been trying to get shuck to kind of mature along with it. We'll see. Right. I mean, like, you know, they might feel like this year, like that they want to go with the experienced hand and sort of, you know, let Thompson come along behind. But uh, I mean, I expect this to be a fully, I mean, while I might put my money on Brown, you know, because now he's got some experience in the system with Moorhead, um, you know, like Thompson's, you know, Thompson's going to come in and absolutely push for the job. Butterfield's been there too. So, you know, Shuck transferring out, like, I mean, there are some Oregon fans tweeting out today that he might've been the third string quarterback coming into this year. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I would say he was definitely the third string quarterback, but I, I don't think that Chuck was probably your leader in the clubhouse to be the starter coming into you know uh, next season when they play at, at, Oh, down, down the road for me at Ohio stadium. Ah, there, there you go. <laughs> that, that'll be an actual game. Uh, who who yeah. thought? Yeah. <laughs> so fun to watch. All right. Anything else on Chuck? Because uh, right, right up the, right up the five, we have some other news out of Washington. Yeah, no, I think that that, I think that that really covers off, uh, Chuck, I mean, like, uh, and good luck with the, you know, the transfer. I mean, he's certainly still, uh, a, you know, a big enough talent has three years left of eligibility to, um, you know, I think find a, I don't know that he might not, he might not land a power five spot, but you know, I, I don't think we're done with him in FBS football. No, no. I mean, that was his first year as a, I mean, he was a redshirt freshman. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I saw the, um, I was more excited about him than I have been excited about some other freshman quarterbacks when they first stepped on the field. So, yeah, I mean, I hope that he find, lands in a good spot and um, picks up things and, and keeps moving forward. So uh, the best of luck to him. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, Rob, up in Washington, we have a defensive coordinator. And um, I, I, sh- I should – a little throat clearing here. Particularly after liking the uh, Kevin Semlin hire and mocking um, the Herm Edwards hire uh, – there, you know, I, I am much more apt to let things ride a little bit. Um, so the hire of Bob Gregory as a defensive coordinator at Washington, uh, it could work out. It could go super well. Um, I, I am a little skeptical, but um, I think giving people a little bit of room to breathe is probably good. Um, at the same time, this wasn't like the splashy hire that you would expect um, at, at just a, a, one of the premier programs in the conference. Yeah, I mean, it's this is... I don't, I mean, I don't like, I, I don't even know that we'll be as harsh on this as some of some Washington fans <laughs> were. Right? I mean, like, I, I mean, we definitely, I mean, and you know, we talked about it a little on the last pod and I tried to lay out like that we're really grading programs on what we think that the expectations should be. And I think for Washington, they're competing for a conference championship, competing for a playoff berth. And like, if, if I'm grading the move, you know, the move here on that rubric, like, it just doesn't feel like the kind of move you make, right? Like, I mean, to be frank, right? I mean, like to be, to be fair, I mean, and, and, you know, I do want to call this out here, um, you know, that, you know, why, you know, they do have, uh, they do have Jimmy Lake already on staff, right? Like, so that, you know, there, there's, there's definitely like, there's not, a, I don't think that they're going to have a lot of fear here that if things go deeply awry, um, that, you know, Jimmy Lake can't step in and take over play calling duties and run the defense you know, and they, and I think definitely too, like you, when you feel like you've had something really successful, like there is a, there's a lot of pressure internally to also like keep the continuity going, you know, like this isn't new, like Washington is not the only program that has these kinds of pressures to, you know, like when, when somebody moves on, who's been really successful to bring somebody on, you know, up from in the staff, uh, who's also contributed to that success, you know, and, um, you know, that happens in business, <laughs> you know, everywhere. Right. Um, 
I do think though, that like for a program like Washington, um, you know, that, uh, you know, has, you know, you could argue has a lot of the same aspirations. I mean, they don't necessarily have the pedigree or sit on top of like the recruiting gold mine or the financial gold mine that the university of Texas does, but has a lot of the same current aspirations, right? I mean, like Texas may, Texas fans may dream more of national championships than Washington fans, but they certainly, you know, I think right now they both are certainly like clawing to get back into the playoff. You know, like Texas made a, Texas made the made the move that caught everyone's attention and getting, you know, Kwiatkowski from Washington. This just doesn't feel like the kind of move you need to make. And I, I think it's also fair to say like Oregon's move. I mean, I like the DeRoyter hire from the X's and O's. It also does. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't move the needle a ton, <laughs> you know, I mean, I like, you know, I like the you know, DeRoyter's work at Cal, but I, with Gregory, like, you know, the, the, the criticism that a lot of folks have had both around the Washington program, folks that we talked to on, on this program, you know, has been that, you know, Gregory's been one of the weaker position coaches that they've had. Um, you know, his, his tenure at Cal really ended on a sour note. His defense, you know, it, it predates beta rank in, in 2009 when he was the DC, but, you know, they really were, were, you know, finished at 42 and SP plus, you know, like it's just not, it just, it doesn't have a lot of punch to it, I guess you could say. And really too, I mean, it, it sort of leaves them in a spot of like, they've, they've, you know, he, he's not, he doesn't have a reputation as a big recruiter. He doesn't have, you know, it's been a while. It's been a decade since he's, you know, he's called plays. Um, he doesn't have a reputation particularly as like a great play caller. And it, it feels like you're burning one of your prime spots on your staff for one of those, right? Like if, if Jimmy Lake, you know, is going to call plays, then burn this on a recruiter, right? Like yeah. use your defensive coordinator spot to go out and lure, lure yourself a top notch recruiter to sit there that wants the title. It just, uh, it, it's an odd fit. I, I, I felt like, and, and I mean, for Jimmy Lake too, I mean, like if you compare this, like last year, you know, if we were grading out like the Donovan hire versus the Moorhead hire, it's just, I just, it, it, it gives me a lot of pause about like, how do I, like, how should we feel about Jimmy Lake right now? You know, like, I mean, this is going to be, this is this year right here is, is going to be a big year for him. My first team that I hired, it was okay. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what, you, with, you learn about yeah, hiring, right? Exactly. Right. You go with what you're comfortable with. You go with people that are, um, I mean, the first thing that you're hiring for is culture. Um, and so I'm sure that Gregory, when it comes to like buying into Jimmy Lake's system, um, is going to be a good fit on that front, right? Like, or else he would he wouldn't have promoted from within. Um, so, like, and I kind of you know on my end, it's like I wanted people that got it and got me and kind of understood what. Uh, I think that there are people that can get you and and also bring more to the table. Um, and we'll see. I mean, like one of the things that we've talked about with other programs. So I want to be pretty, you know, uh, across the board consistent is you know if you if you're a coach a head coach and you have one side of the ball locked down it's okay to go all in on the other side of the ball so i mean it seems like washington has that you know the def- the defense side of the, that ball locked down but at, at the same time what you're talking about like why not burn that spot on a recruiter or um you know if you're gonna if you're gonna hire gregory and i know he didn't realize that quietaski was gonna leave for texas i understand that but like you know if you're so confident on the defensive side of the ball why not go out and and spend big on the offensive side of the ball. So, I mean, look, Washington could, could be fine. And we could look back and say, wow, they saved a lot of money. And now they have this money to do something like big. 
Um, or it, it could be a hindrance to the program. We just don't know. We'll have to see it on the field. But yeah, I'm, I'm more, I was, I was kind of like, ah, you know, like the, the, these two hires that Lake was making were by far the ones we were watching most, more, even more so than like Oregon or USC. I, I just was really curious right. to see what those hires are. And um, in terms of like winning the press conference, both of them were kind of meh, but um, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to win the press conference to win the games. So right. we'll, we'll see. Well, it just feels like too, I mean, and I, um, I'll say this. I don't think that there were any other power five programs that were going to come knocking to get Bob Gregory to be their defensive coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And that sounds harsh, but I think that's true. I don't think that there were any power five programs that were knocking down the door to get John Donovan as their offensive coordinator. I think that's true. Like if you look at like a, the, the, what you just laid out of like some of the moves that Oregon has made with Moorhead, um, I think some of the moves that USC has made in particular with bringing Dante Williams to really get back in the recruiting game where they needed to be. Um, I really like the Snyder hire for special teams to help revamp what they've done there. Like they've made some smart hires. I mean, and USC went out this, you know, I mean, I, I don't love, like we'll see how their offensive line coach hire works out, but they definitely needed to make a move this off season. And they did for Washington. I just, I, I just, I, I like he's like like we'll see like it's, I mean the door's not closed like this isn't we're I'm not, I don't want you to, anyone to think like we're saying like it's a sure thing this is going to be bad because we're not there's just a distribution of outcomes right and like they didn't they didn't make a home run hire where like oh yes obviously this is going to work yeah <laughs> you know um and I and like it is like it is and it is like they they really did they they replaced you know they filled the position that they had available on staff because they basically just promoted Gregory up by by promoting uh an off the field you know um analyst to a, a full-time coaching position and like Washington is a you know Washington's a, a, a great program that has a lot of you know talented people around it but um, and so much money yeah. right now, <laughs> like the, I know, Seattle. Just feels, Have you been to Seattle recently? Holy Moses! <laughs> it just feels like so. Um, it just feels so uninspired to be like, oh yeah, we were, we promoted Bob Gregory and like promoted an analyst to a full time coaching job. I mean, those all could work, right? Those absolutely all could work, but like, you're not going out and trying to lure an established coach because you got money to go get that person. Um, and they really should have. I mean, Kwiatkowski wasn't poorly paid. I mean, he's, he definitely got a raise going to Texas, but he wasn't poorly paid. It's not like you necessarily even had to match his salary to Bob Gregory, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they could have looked to invest some of that money elsewhere. You know, they certainly could have gone out and I think invested more on trying to compete for a name offensive coordinator. Um, you know, and it just, it, it's that... It, I, I just, I, it, it, it feels like, uh, it feels like that they're not, that they, they, they don't feel like they have to play the game. Like, like Jimmy Lake doesn't feel like he has to play the game like everybody else at, at the level. And like, I, I don't know, like, I, like you kind of do, <laughs> I mean, there's just not like even, uh, you know, Sweeney, Devo Sweeney, like, you know, what has really energized, you know, that program and really put them over the top in a lot of ways is bringing Venables on the offense has gotten better too. But like, I mean, they, I mean, Fred Venables has paid an enormous amount of money to keep that defense humming. And I mean, it's that, okay. yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta make a move. You gotta, you gotta make a move to play like the big boys, like put a marker down, I guess you could say. And it just doesn't feel like Washington wants to do that. And I just, uh, I mean, maybe it works, but it's uh it's, it's a gamble. Yeah, and, and we should mention, so Bob Bob Gregory was uh, the coach of the linebackers and special teams for the last couple of years. 
Um, he came over with Peterson, uh, where he, uh, before that, he was, like you mentioned, Rob, the defensive coordinator for Cal, and he also was there for a year at Boise State also. So, uh, you know, interesting. One of the things that drives me nuts, though, I was reading the article from, which one is this, from the News Tribune, um, you know, and like said, uh, you know, we, we did a national search and the best defensive coordinator we had was right here on our staff. And that's just not factually true. <laughs> like, you know, like there, there, are, there are better defensive. Now, whether or not Washington could have got it, and obviously it's the press conference. You got to say the right thing and all that stuff, especially when you're hiring from within. Um, and, uh, you know, and a lot of those really excellent defensive coordinators are locked up and they have big contracts. So I just I just saw that one like, oh, dang it. Like, ugh, I really want Washington to be like the best it could be. And, and maybe they will be under Gregory. But um, I, I do have my doubts. But um, it is. It's uh, like they can't go out and like, I mean, like Baylor's defense. I mean, I'll grant you they brought on Dave Aranda, but like Roberts, the defensive coordinator at Baylor, like Washington should certainly be able to pry Baylor's defensive coordinator away. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that's like, I mean, it's that kind of thing. Like Washington should be able to go out potentially and like, um, you know, like, like with the, a program that we mentioned that had a, a good year this year, you know, Iowa state, their defense really, you know, put it together this off, you know, this season it was really good. They run an interesting front. Um, you know, you may want to keep the continuity going on the system that you have there, that said, like, I mean, and maybe that's it. Maybe more than anything, they just don't want to mess up with what they have going. And so they're not going to go looking outside their system. That's really going to limit your pool. And I, I guess what I would worry about is, I mean, how many, you know, it's, man, I, I will emphasize this till I die. It's more than just scheme and having good players. Like play calling is an actual skill, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so having, having like how many, how many really top-notch play callers are, in that Washington system and grew up in it or, you know, that Washington Boise system that I don't know. I mean, maybe there's an inexhaustible supply of them. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on this and uh, definitely something to look out for when we move into uh, 2022. One thing to keep in mind, obviously, if you're a 2021, (laughs) Uh, one thing, obviously to keep in mind, Washington fans, uh, Jimmy Lake is still the head coach. So, you know, um, it's a really good, um, really good foundation to build from if you're trying to continue that offensive success that they had. Um, with that, let's uh, let's talk about beta rank, Rob. We have your numbers out, um, some preseason projections, and let's do that right after this. All right, we are back, and uh, it isn't officially beta rank day. That's week six of the uh, <laughs> the regular season. <laughs> but it's it never like- came this year because, like, we had preseason data in there all season. <laughs> yeah, but this is kind of like Thanksgiving, right? It's it's like almost as good. It's, it's like it's not that close to Christmas, but it is it is festive and it's a big deal for you, Rob, and your advanced metrics. And uh, tell the fine people what what we got going right now. Why it's why it's such a big day here at Twelve Pack Radio. I mean, I get excited for this. It's it's uh, it kind of snuck up on me this year. I mean, the, the pandemic it strikes back, I guess again, and also it just feels. I mean, but like the the you know with signing day in and Bill Connolly had having his returning production numbers in um, that gave me everything I needed in order to go ahead and, and, you know, and rerun the the projection model um, for it. And I, so I'll, I'll go off, you know, there's, there are a couple of things that go into the projection model. I don't, I also don't just treat them the way people think. So I'll go into that. So there's, there's uh, how you were in prior years in beta rank. So like did beta rank think you were actually any good by unit? There is uh, the returning production, you know, by team, offense, defense. Um, and then there's recruiting. Uh, we've talked about this. It is, I use uh, rivals and I just use the average um, ranking of each team uh, for that. And that I use it. T- so, 
but it's, it's, I use a two year rolling average on the recruiting. So it's basically like I use the recruiting to try to take account for players that we haven't seen yet, uh, on the team in a way. Um, and then the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, returning production and then the, um, you know, the, the beta rank score are sort of, uh, there to account for like the players that we have seen that might be coming back. Um, there's also in here a metric called coaching and development. Um, and this is what I try, this is where I try to capture teams that either consistently over or underperform their fundamentals. So teams that under or overperform recruiting, um, under or under over underperform their recruiting, you know, returning production, you know, or their prior year performance teams that just tend to do that are going to, to, to grade out well. Um, teams, I mean, an example in the PAC 12 of like a team that tends to do well in the coaching and development would be Washington state, like Washington state, tough place to recruit to, um, while the Cougars are not always, you know, ranked where their recruiting rankings would have them. The, at the, if you're going to flip it around USC, um, under Clay Helton has been a bit of an underperformer in coaching and development, sort of failing to cash in on a lot of the talent that they brought in. I also want to be clear. I don't just use returning production on its own. At any point in any of these models, um, they are, it is, uh, I, I use it in combination uh, with other fields coming in there to try to weight it properly. So like, you know, returning production on its own without knowing, you know, if that returning production was any good, isn't a very useful metric. Um, so it, it's not thrown in the model on its own and it does pretty well. I also, it only counts as you pointed out for like the first six weeks of the season and then it drops totally in there. So, and it's, there's a declining weight that it makes up, um, in the, in the beta rank, in beta rank in season until week six. So it's, it's about, you know, after the first week, it's about 90 some percent of the model and then, you know, drops pretty quickly off to, you know, um, about 20% on the last week and then it's gone. One thing to keep in mind for the projections themselves, not necessarily the results at the end of the year, is this is a starting point. This isn't like, obviously, there's going to be times where um, a team overperforms or underperforms or somebody gets hurt and stuff. It's just a nice um, beginning uh, of the conversation. And as we go through into week six, that's really when the the, the model kind of locks teams in and kind of has a pretty good idea of who they are. So that, that's pretty exciting. And this year, we'll be able to even rely more on it just because there's going to be the non-conference games, which we didn't really, uh, we weren't able to yeah. see in, on a lot of teams that means some of the teams that were able to play each other but that was a really big deal too all right let's do it let's do it here okay so um coming in at number one is uh are the Oregon Ducks projected sixth um in the country coming into 2021 and Rob that seems fairly high seems fairly high for a defense that had some issues um although the offense looked like it like we mentioned already with Shuck uh you know when it was humming it was humming um but at the end of the day I think Oregon was still a top what top 20 top 15 team uh even with the stumbles yeah I mean they 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 finished out if you look at their grades I mean the the offense finishes off last season at 21 in beta rank the defense finishes off at 25 they certainly had their troubles for sure um, they had a solid special teams number at 10 overall Oregon has struggled. Um, some of this is that there's still some hangover from the Helfrich era and the Willie Taggart era. So their coaching and development sits at number 80, you know, they're, but they do this season, they, they return, you know, uh, I mean, most everyone in college football returns a lot of production yeah. <laughs> this season. Um, so Oregon's got a lot coming back. I mean, their number's going to change with the Shuck transfer. I will, I will end up rerunning these as a result, but um, the, uh, you know, their offensive returning productions at number 12, their defensive returning productions at number 19, what really buoys them versus, you know, 
really, I mean, everyone else in the conference, but particularly in the North is their recruiting ranking. They're at number seven in recruiting. Um, and they've got a, they've got a pretty good distance between themselves and number two, Washington, like the, you know, the distance where that Oregon is put between themselves and Washington is larger than the gap between Washington and Cal, the number three team. Yeah. And, and that, that's a big deal. And obviously if you've looked at, at the players that Oregon's hauled in, they are quite good. Um, and they have good coaches. So, uh, well, maybe, maybe on defense. <laughs> well, I know, yeah, Av- we'll I know, I know Avalos left. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm giving him a little hard time. Um, but no, no, le- legitimately hired a, a solid staff, good recruiters. It's just a program that seems to be pretty strong. You know, six, six is pretty high. Now six is knocking on the door of the playoff, which, you know, if Oregon has a really good year, I, I, I mean, that's within the realm of possibility. My eyes raised a little bit when I saw six, but then I kind of took a step back and said, well, you know, the Pac-12 isn't like a, a monster. Um, so, th- like, they should be favored in most of their games. Um, and I don't think Beta Rank takes into consideration strength of schedule at this point. So it's more just what is the team. Um, and I think yeah. the, the team's going to be pretty good. Well, it's it's what's what's really tough when you look across, you know, college football, though, is like, I mean, like Oregon, there's not a tremendous gap between them and, say, Georgia at number seven. I mean, like, I mean, that's like, it's like, who else you got, right? I mean, after last year, like, I mean, you know, the the beta rank is projecting LSU is going to have a bit of a bounce back, you know, like some of that is, you know, really predicated on recruiting, but you know, like there's, there's a, you know, if you look across, you know, the top of college football right now, you know, filling out that top 10 coming into this year gets tough. And it's, it's mostly made up if you look at like other than Iowa state, um, you know, some of the, just really the top recruiting teams coming into this year after a, a pretty wild, I mean, a really a pretty wild, you know, 2020 in the data where some traditional power programs, I mean, really had some bad years. Wisconsin was a lot worse than expected. Oh, LSU was a, a lot worse. Yeah. Penn state was a lot worse. Michigan was a lot worse than expected. Um, Georgia really did struggle, I think for, for, for points uh, of the season. And then there are like the programs that were, you know, good uh you know you kind of felt like they they you know they're the ones that actually had you know the production losses right because they had players that didn't opt out maybe like florida's an example with some of the you know really good players that they had they 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 lose a ton of production particularly on offense but part of it is is that you know they're really good players played this season so (laughs) it's it's kind of a it's kind of it is kind of a weird i mean it's not kind of it's the weirdest off season I've ever, ever had to deal with. Right? <laughs> Worst off season ever. Um, no, I, I got you. And, and putting that in perspective too, right? With Georgia and Penn State and like some of these teams where it's like, oh yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the problem is we always compare teams to the the four teams that are always going to be in the, the college football playoff, right? Yeah. And they're just so high and above um, where everybody else is. So six coming but in. Bader, Bader Rank's projecting that. Like Bader Rank would project Alabama or Oklahoma or Clemson to be a significant favorite over uh, Oregon. Okay. Right. Like it's not like the, we talk about this, right? Like the, the, as you get towards the edges here, like the space between the teams gets larger, um, you know, like uh, Oklahoma is and, and Alabama, which are really tight in that one, two projection for beta rank. They, you know, they would be a significant favorite over a lot of teams um, in the top 10. Oh, for sure. All right. Well, cool. Well, that, that's enough on Oregon. We've talked about Chuck and, and them being number one. We're staying in the North here um, this week, and the next week we'll do the South. Um, next number two, like you mentioned, Rob, is Washington, and Washington ranks in at number 12. 
And, uh, you know, and, and again, taking a step back and looking at like who the peers are in that, you know, a 10 to 15 range, that, that sounds fair, right? They, they, um, have recruited fairly well. Obviously the defense is solid. And, um, and if they can get the offense, if they can turn that up a little bit, I mean, this is a team that can really challenge anybody in the conference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, given the defense for Washington, you know, they were a little, I mean, both Oregon and Washington we projected as top 10 defenses coming into last season. They both finished at 20, you know, in the twenties, you know, Washington finished at 20 overall defensively last season. I expect them to be able to clean some of that up coming into this year. The offense was, you know, was, was it bad? You know, they were 31 overall in beta rank, but I think for Washington's aspirations, they definitely do have to clean that up a little bit. Special teams wasn't great last year, number 40 overall. Um, but Washington were like, the difference between one of the big differences between them and Oregon, Washington does a better job developing players. They're at number 11 in the coaching and development ranks. Um, they also have a ton of returning production coming back. Number 16 overall, seven on offense, 58 on defense where they are losing some more, but you you really like their ability to continue to develop players there. And their recruiting's not bad. I mean, they're at number, number 19 overall at recruiting. We hit that. We hit on this a little bit on the last show, right? Like it's definitely something you feel like Washington's going to have to, if they want to really get back in the conversation for the playoff, they might have to pick up on more. But I mean, this is like Washington right now with with the setup that they have. I mean, they have um, you know Morris back, you know at, at QB, you know Puka Nakua. I mean, they have some players that we thought might we might see some breakouts from this past year, and we we didn't quite, but you definitely feel like you know it might be there for them for the taking because they themselves had a lot of production losses on offense last season. So they might be able to take a little bit of a step forward on offense and that would be big for them. They haven't really been in the top 20 on offense since Jonathan Smith was your play caller for them. And then like you mentioned, the returning production on offense is, is top 10. So um, you mentioned some of the players that are coming back. So that will be exciting uh, to see if they can put that together. And um, yeah, like, you know, top 15 ish team that, that sounds about right for Washington moving forward. Yeah, they absolutely. Can, and then go up or down. Like we mentioned, these are, these are a starting point. Um, the end point uh, will be remains to be seen. And then week six, we'll, we'll have a pretty good idea of where these teams are. Let's go to, let's go to, okay. This one surprised me a little bit. The, the third team in the Pac-12 North is Cal who ended up at number 29 and so if yeah. I recall, kind of taking a step back to what a 20, like a 29 ish like team would be um, a, a little bit better than ASU, like kind of when they were, when they were playing a little better, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's area. like, I mean, if there's two teams that feels just very uncertain to me still in the pack, and we've talked about this, it's ASU and Cal, right? Like, yeah. I just don't feel like we got a great handle on them from both the number of games they played and then like the way their seasons got disrupted by COVID all said, you know, Cal's offense was pretty pedestrian last season, grading out at 64 in beta rank. The defense was decent, like middle of the power five, 28 overall, um, good special teams. Number 14. Um, they have a decent coaching and development rank at, at number 53. It's really, again, something that like you really need the staff to improve on, but they've got a ton of returning production again. Right. Well, I, so I, I have a question about the the coaching and development with them because, um, and and first thing to mention is like we only saw like three or four games from Cal, so the model is kind yeah. of like, you know, the model is doing what we're doing just with better math. <laughs> just kind of like, oh, like okay. I mean, um, it's making a good, it's making as good of a guess as we can based on the things that we can measure and know. Okay, yeah, you know, but when it comes to Cal and the coaching deve- and development. 
I mean, I think that Wilcox has done a pretty good job developing that defense, particularly with the recruits that he had. And remember, he took Sonny Dykes' dregs and kind of made them um, amazing. Um, On the offensive side, it's kind of just been, you know. That's your trouble, right? (laughs) Like, he offsets. It totally offsets, right? Because, like, yes, you did an amazing thing with all those, like, three-star Sonny Dykes recruits and maybe even some two-stars on defense. But Sonny Dykes recruited some guys on the offensive side and – some of them left and never, you know, yeah. never played again at Cal. They didn't develop, you know, them and the offensive, you know, ratings that they've had in the model have just been awful. Um, so that's like, you know, it is a sort of a tale of two, you know, a, t- a tale of two sides. I mean, like, I mean, you just say like, you know, like they're just like they're offsetting all the positive things that they've done on defense with some really negative numbers and development on the offensive side of the football. I wonder if some of that's been hampered by bad court, not, not Garbers. I'm, I'm removing Garter, Garbers, but like, remember the few years back where they just, they just couldn't get a, they, they were playing like three quarterbacks at one point. Yeah. Um, it was just such a mess. And like, cause if you take a look at Cal's production on offense, they usually have good running backs. Their line is, is pretty good. And it, and it's not like they're, I mean, they're not bringing in top tier talent. I mean, like you mentioned Dykes did and a lot of those players left, and it's kind of been like three, like low to mid three star players and stuff. And I don't know, it just seemed like it was kind of at par, but I'm wondering really if it's like maybe a bad aff- offensive line at one point and then just some bad quarterback play that's really driven that to a nosedive. I, I don't know. That that would be my theory. Well, I mean, it does seem like that they've certainly had everything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Cal offense, right? Like Bo Baldwin really didn't work out. Oh, they yeah. couldn't really settle it. Like, I mean, they couldn't really settle a quarterback at all, right? And you know, they had some, like, it's, it's hard to like last year or I mean the year before last, you felt like they had some, you know, decent running backs. Right. But outside of that, like, it's just, it's felt like they could never get it all going at the same time. Um, you're hope we're, I mean, I'm hopeful that with another year with Musgrave, you know, that this Cal, like this Cal offense, if they're going to take a step forward and challenge, you know, like, I mean, I, I don't think we're at the point where, you know, like we, you know, we should, we, I think it's fair to, with the moves that Oregon has made, the way they've recruited, um, you know, some of the way that they have played at times to, to, to anoint them as the favorite. I think that's fair. I don't think the model's crazy there. And I think Washington is not at all that far behind them. Um, but neither of them are so far ahead of, you know, some of the rest of these teams where like Cal, if they could really put it together on offense, you know, they're within striking distance of, of, of Oregon and Washington, you know? So I think that, you know, they haven't recruited great 39 overall, um, but it's not bad. They're still averaging, you know, over a three-star recruit, um, you know, per player that they're bringing in for them. I think like, if you still have confidence that Wilcox is going to have that defense, you know, ready to go, you know, then, then, you know, it's really on Musgrave and the offense. And if, if they can get like, Brian, we've talked about this, like it's 64, like they've, that's a bad power five offense. Like they got to get into like the thirties, like a middle of the road power five offense. But if you do that, all of a sudden you're talking about a Cal team that might be, you know, it's like a fringy top 25 team. Yeah. And that's kind of where the model has them right now at 29. Yeah. That's with the offense being projected or like not being projected. It's with that, you know, 60 low sixties ranking you know last year yeah. into it yeah so you know um something to look forward to if you're a cal fan i think there's a that if all well there's a couple of programs here that can jump up and bite people but um cal is certainly one of them let's uh rob let's talk about the next three teams but let's do it right after this 
All right, we're back. We're going through the Pac-12 North, the beta rank preseason projections for each team. We just talked about Cal, and let's get into the next team, Rob, which is, oh my gosh, it's Washington State at 35. Uh, that that jumped out at me because I was excited about Washington State at the beginning of the year. I thought that they did some things that were encouraging, um, but but 35 is 35 is high on my end. I, I was um, That one jumped out at me uh, of all the other ones here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so there's there's a couple things really helping them here. So they were decent on offense last year. They're kind of a middle of the road power five offense at 37. That's a significant fall off from like the last. I don't. Mike Leach, like people think Mike Leach was always great on offense at Washington State. That wasn't the case. His last two years were great again offensively at Washington State, but the defense did not get any better. They finished at 86. What has been interesting, really, the last two seasons with them is how good they have been on special teams. Huh. Um, and it's like that, it was that it UCLA almost seemed, game uh, being the exception, <laughs> right? But I mean, like they're they're kicking, but their their place kicking in particular, you know, like uh, you know their their place kicker has been a you know really in contention for the Groza. I think he's transferring. <laughs> so I gotta check that. Let me double check that real fast because that's a big watch out. Because if you look at um, some of what's um, yes, he is transferring. So, um, you know, one of the best kickers and a real weapon for them, uh, you know, in college football. And, uh, you know, if you follow, you know, if you're, you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably following college football, Twitter, you know, like the college kick- kickers joke is real. Um, having an automatic kicker in college is a significant weapon. Um, that's where I think if there's a, a real watch out for downside with this Washington state team, it's that can they sustain special teams? Excellence. Um, they've also, they are, and have consistently been one of the best teams of the PAC 12 at coaching and development. Yeah. A lot of that's a carryover from Leach though, you know, after this year, it will start to be like over 50%, you know, Rolovich and the new coaching staff in that coaching and development wait for them. Um, so I'm interested to see if that also continues and carries over. Um, they do have a lot coming back. I mean, like, uh, you know, and that is, of course that is pre seeing if the suspension holds for Delora, but you know, Guarantano's coming on, you know, they, they are bringing on a pretty, a guy who at times was a really well, I mean, at times, and also had some real ups and downs <laughs> at Tennessee, <laughs> but at times was, a, you know, had some really good games for, for the volunteers, you know, and they bring a lot back on defense. You know, you're never going to recruit super well into the Palouse, you know, they're at 67 and recruiting. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's tough. Cause like, I know you're probably in the same boat as I am. Like you, you might think that the offense with another year under Rolovich and getting the run and shoot under the belt might be able to take a little bit of a step forward. We both like Dickert, the defensive coordinator hire coming over from Wyoming. He might have an opportunity after another year to also improve on the 86, but I think all of that could get washed out by that, you know, Maza moving on um, if their special teams, you know, struggle. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see um, how how that works. But that one, I don't know. Of, of all the teams here, that one looked. If there was a big change, I would put my money on Washington State still needing another year to develop and and the defense still kind of chugging yeah. along. Um, you know, at, at that sub seventy five level. But we'll we'll see. I mean, you never know. Um, I do. You're right. I do think they're buoyed by um, the ability of Leach to kind of. Um, reach up uh, beyond the potential, particularly on the offense. And that one year with the defense, holy Moses, that one year, <laughs> you know, the Alex Grinch one year there, uh, he had his Grinch, I mean, Grinch, Grinch, like, I mean, I tell you what, like a lot of people are sleeping on Grinch. Like 
Grinch had that Oklahoma defense rolling last year, particularly at the end of the year. And that's why Oklahoma was great rated so high coming into this year. I just, just watch out. Like, I mean, Oklahoma might sneak up on some people coming into this season. Okay. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind here. Let's go to uh, the next team, which is Oregon state at 41. Um, and that's, that seems kind of high for the beeves too, Rob. I mean, my goodness, it, it seems like now, obviously they can move the ball and, and we'll see what happens right. next year. If they can still move the ball. I'm still not a Jebby fan. I'm still not sold on Jebby by the way, but, but, um, 41 for, for a team that man was in the dregs for a little bit is a pretty optimistic projection. Uh, why are the numbers happen so high? Uh, part of it, I mean, is that the offense again was, they were a decent power five offense last season, finishing at 34. The defense actually regressed a little bit from where they were. Um, you know, that they, they were, they, they were in the 70s, I believe, at the end of uh, 2019. They finished 2020 at 83. Uh, the special teams again, like, and I, I do want to call this out because the special teams again were pretty good. Like the year before in 2019, Oregon State had a top 10 special teams unit. That really helped. Um, you know, but they were decent. They were 27 last season. That definitely helps your score. You know, they're coaching and development. They still have some work to do. Jonathan Smith, I think, is still digging his way out of the hole that they were in from, um, you know, the end of the Gary Anderson era, which was just cat just catastrophic. That said, like a lot of Pac-12 teams, a lot of Pac-12 teams just have a lot of production coming back off some units that weren't. That, I mean, like if you're returning 87% of your production off of an offense that graded out at 34 in beta rank last season, or I mean, sorry, 94% of your production off an offense that graded out of 34 and beta rank last season, like the model's going to expect you to be better. Yeah. <laughs> so like a lot of it is that, is that like they weren't that bad. I mean, they were pretty decent on offense last season and they've got nearly everyone back, you know, like the defense, you know, like they were bad, but you have a lot of, you know, you have a lot coming back again. Um, I mean, that's, that's really it for the beeves. I mean, 41. I mean, I will say like, if I was, if I was good, I would put Washington state and Oregon state, like each of these, these rankings, you can think of it as being like in a distribution, but it's not a symmetrical distribution. Like the team is going to fall likely to fall somewhere in that distribution. Washington state's probably closer to the top of their ceiling than they are to the bottom. Like the same, I would say for Oregon state with this one, they're closer to the top of their ceiling than they are to the bottom. Yeah, because I mean, you don't want to. This happens in the NFL, right? With with running backs, like you know, the, your star running back leaves, and then it's fine, <laughs> you know. Like, but right. I think it is different. I think Jamar Jefferson was a special player at Oregon State, and when he wasn't in the game, I just as much as I liked. Um, oh, I mean, Pierce before him was was really good, but like BJ Baylor, um, he was okay. And then and the, I forget the other backup. My apologies. It's it, I'll, again, I'll get back in the in the scheme the swing of things here, but. With him gone, like he was just such a big piece of that offense, and I know that they're going to throw the ball and all that stuff, but I don't know. I just uh, like I again, right? Th this is blind math taking a look at at where that team is. Um, yeah, I, yeah. And also, also, this is like we're not used to seeing every team in the country returning a ton of production, right? Like with yeah. a few yeah. outliers that just aren't. I would say, like with Oregon State, if there's reason for optimism, is that. You know, players just tend to do like, I mean, and this is small sample, but with Smith and the coaching staff, right? Like Jake Luton was a different quarterback in his second year in the system. Right. Um, and man, like it was, 
I mean, as much as our Jebbia probably like, man, when Jebbia got hurt, oh, that was bad. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Nolan was a mess. Yeah. Um, so, like, there's definitely some stuff to figure out. I think my optimism, though, is that they're returning a lot of players on the offensive line, and I think Jim Mahalchuk is just one of the best in the business. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, they have, like, Oregon State, as long as he is there and, you know, like, is able to, to – and now that they're hopefully able to start to fill out the roster a little more behind him, you know, with players, the, the two deep. You know they they're going to be in a relatively decent spot where they shouldn't they shouldn't ever be too too bad as long as they can keep the offensive line too deep stocked and Mahalchuk has time to develop players at least on offense. Yeah, well we'll, we'll keep an eye out there. Um, yeah, I, I I think I think that's that's a little high, but we'll we'll see. Um, and if they can keep the offense going, they can stick in games. And again, it's not like the Pac-12 is going to light the world on fire next year. Um, so there are opportunities for Oregon State to really just go out and just beat some teams that are that are fine or or even kind of good. Um, and uh, and I certainly trust the coaching staff there. I think they're quite good. Uh, okay, let's go to the last one, which is another surprise. Rob Stanford coming in last deadline out now. Again, this is just in the north, so don't worry. <laughs> There's yeah. going to be some teams below Stanford in the south. Right. But, but Stanford at at fifty, and um, you know, like they they had a uh, like an okay year. Uh, they were able to move the ball th- uh, through the through the air, and they they were able to run it a little bit more than they had in previous years. Um, but at the end of the day, the de- the defense still kind of stunk and. Um, but I was still surprised at, at where they ended up as a, a preseason projection, just given all the talent they, they still have on there. Now, they didn't recruit well this year, but they still have some some pretty high-level players on paper on that team. Yeah, I mean, and this really comes down to a couple of things for Stanford. So, one, I mean, like, there's the, the, the factors that should, if you were going to look at it, should, you know, work positively in their favor. Um the offense was at 18 last season. And I, and I think it is a real credit to to Mills. And I think it's a credit to, to be to Pritchard, um, the way Stanford's been able to reinvent their offense yeah. uh, and really make it work. Like I, I mean, uh, I think we've been maybe overly critical of the Stanford offense in the past. And um, I still don't necessarily know that they got the run game figured out, but that's okay because they're basically the air raid with tight ends at this moment. <laughs> Defense, however, Oh man, like I don't know that we're harsh enough, and like we are probably the only people that are, like go around railing about Lance Anderson. I mean, except for maybe some like random Stanford blog somewhere. <laughs> like the defense has been bad for a while, and they were really bad again last year. Um, so there's a you know if you're going to go through like that's a negative, right? It's like the defense was just horrendous for you know you know the year running. For, for context, teams. just real fast, just so, so people know, like. They 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 ranked under Oregon State and Beta Rank and and two under Washington State. Like that's how bad the defense was at Stanford. Yeah, yeah. Um, now special teams sixteen last year. That's a positive coming in. You know, like that. That's a mark in their favor. Uh, what's what's tough for Stanford is is their coaching and development rank. Right. Like they've recruited pretty well for the most part um, over the years. They haven't been able of late to always translate that into production on the field. So 59 there, that hurts. But then you flip it. I mean, where, where, what really hurts them is they're at 112, like, whereas literally everyone else, the lowest ranked team ahead of, you know, in, in the Pac-12 North, other than Stanford in returning production overall is Cal at 17 nationally. <laughs> Stanford's at 112. Yeah. Um, so like 
Cal has 81% of their production coming back off of last year's team. Stanford has 55. I mean, that's a significant difference, but like what really hurts them is that the, where they, where they have their least production coming back is actually off of their best unit. So they're at 125 on production returning on offense. They only have 45% of their production coming back. That is the reason that Stanford comes in at number 50 in beta rank and last in the Pac-12 North is the unit that really carried the team last season just doesn't have as much coming back. And Stanford also, I mean, they have different rules yeah. that I, I think are coming back to get them here, which is like, you know, the extra year of eligibility. I, I'm not entirely sure. And this is something I really feel like I feel like an idiot for not having looked into before this podcast. So if you're listening to this, know that after this, I'm going to go look it up. But Stanford, you, if you graduate, I believe you're, you're, it's time for you to move on. <laughs> so, um, I don't think that they have, you know, like that kind of graduate, you know, like that, uh, like where they can move, you know, guys into graduate programs, um, you know, at Stanford. So they're, they're, they are really low on the returning production on offense. The defense, they're also pretty low. They're at number 81 in returning production overall. That still means they're, I mean, they're, it's a net positive. They have 65% of their returning product, you know, production coming back on defense, but the unit was just really bad last year. Um, and then the recruiting, which, I mean, they're not, they're still like, I mean, by PAC 12 standards, they're a really good recruiting team. Still they're 25 overall on the two year rolling average, but I mean, it's a far cry from where they have been in the past, which, you know, has been uh, in the, you know, you're not looking at the, you're not looking at this recruiting class for Stanford and expecting to see any of these guys hitting the field because they just didn't recruit anybody at that level. Oh yeah. And the, and the other thing to mention, and it's the one thing that the model is blind to, and it just is what it is right now. Like, you know, if we, if we were doing this full time, we'd probably have a solution to it and that's the transfers. Right. It's just the model isn't picking up the transfers. Oh, maybe it like, I guess. You, no, I, so I, I do want to say that it does because Bill, Con like, so recruiting rankings don't take it into account. Connolly does take it into account oh. in the way that she calculates returning production. Um, so basically like if you take, like if you lose a returning production, like a, a player transfers out, that production has gone from your team and is taken out of the returning production. But if you add in the returning production, it basically, he, what he does is he adds it to both the numerator and the denominator, right? So, like, um, it can be a net positive for teams to bring that on. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, I, I guess the point being, and I'm glad that you clarified that, is that Stanford isn't really a traditionally, power, like, a traditional oh. powerhouse at transfers. So, like, this team probably is what it is, um, this roster moving into the next year. And, like, look, 50 isn't awful, but it's just, you know, everything's relative. And we're, we're just so used to Stanford being in the top 25. But I mean, like you mentioned, Rob, that they were 125th in terms of returning production on offense. There's 130 teams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of freaking people leaving. And that offense and Max had brought this up. Max was pretty high on the offense. And they ended up being pretty good uh, this yeah. year. So yikes. Um, but the team also hasn't been, I mean, like really too. I mean, like, I think we still have high expectations for Stanford. It's the same coaching staff. I mean, year before last, they still recruited pretty well. But I mean, the last two, three years, like they haven't been anything really exceptional on the football field, right? I mean, that that's what sort of like, I mean, hits them a little bit too. I mean, that 59 in coaching and development, like, you know, Stanford's got to be coaching them up better than that, uh, I, you know, at this point. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully every team 
finishes first or they all just had fun along the way with a made a lot of friends <laughs> they are they are champions of life <laughs> um all right rob well let's let's end this here so next week we will do I mean, obviously we'll cover any news that happens in the pac-12 but we'll do the pac-12 south in terms of the beta rank projections um and then we have more stuff coming down the pike so just keep keep that in mind as we continue to roll through the off season thanks again for our friends at nextiva for um allowing us to continue these uh, podcasts throughout uh the, the time where there's no football actually on uh we'll catch everybody next week